All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Brian Wells and, after missing the previous episode, Benjamin Carlson. Our main topic for today is MLB free agency, as the winter's two biggest stars have finally signed. Manny Machado has agreed to a $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres, and Bryce Harper has committed to spending the next 13 years with the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll also give our takes on the current state of Major League Baseball as the second straight slow-moving offseason and team's general unwillingness to sign top free agents to long-term deals is leaving concerns about a player's strike in the coming years. Instead of the normal quick hitter segment, today we'll have three additional segments, starting with Embrace Debate, where we'll present our arguments for why or why not Duke star freshman and potential number one overall pick Zion Williamson should sit out the remainder of the college basketball season. We'll also discuss Jason Witten's departure from the Monday Night Football booth to unretire from the NFL and play a 16th season with the Dallas Cowboys in Goodbye Old Friend, and read up on Adam Pacman Jones' long history of legal issues following yet another arrest for the longtime NFL quarterback in WikiGeeks. And in honor of my work trip to Michigan, the three of us will count down our favorite famous people from the Great Lakes State in today's Top 5. So welcome back, Ben. Uh, did not have you for our most recent episode, but you're still in Michigan, and this time you're able to help us record. So, yep, recording from my hotel room right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let, let's start off today by talking about MLB free agency. And despite being in the fourth month of Major League Baseball free agency, we have not talked about it yet. On he's done it. Because we've been waiting for the top two guys, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, to finally sign with the team. And that happened as uh, February 21st, Machado agreed to a 10-year, $300 million deal with the San Diego Padres. And on March 2nd, Bryce Harper announced he would be joining the Philadelphia Phillies on a 13-year, $330 million agreement. So these two guys, after waiting all this time, uh, spring training started, they finally have a team, and they're locked up for a long time with a lot of money. So yeah, for the Manny Machado deal, I don't know, I'm not sure how much I love it for the San Diego Padres. I know that they have the best farm system in the entire league, and it's not even close. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the names in the minor league system uh, for the Padres, but even though Machado does present that veteran presence that they now have uh, and someone that has had recent postseason um, sort of success, I guess. But the thing with Machado is that he really showed in the postseason last year that he's not exactly the, uh, you know, the hardest worker. And, he, you know, he was kind of a dirty player as well in the playoffs when he 
stepped over uh, Jesus Aguilar's uh, foot when he was running the first base and you know, also not you know hustling as much as you'd like, especially in the World Series. He said he's um, not Johnny Hustle. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that move. I think I can just totally see it up, seeing it blowing up uh, in the Padres' face within like three or four years. And I don't know. Another thing about the move is just I hate that someone as good as he is, a top five or ten player in the entire league, um, is not going to a big market like you know. I'm not saying that I wanted him on the Red Sox and you know I'm glad he's not in New York but uh I, I just wish he was some a player like that was in a bigger market and not you know San Diego so San Diego from from what I've been told I've never been there uh but from everyone I know who has lived there or visited there they think it's an awesome place so I think Machado's gonna be living it up there uh, you know he he's only twenty. He'll, he'll be years having the old. time of his life. I'm yeah, just saying, baseball wise, <laughs> it won't be as you know good as expected. No, no, no. I so he has an opt out after five years, and I cannot envision Machado remaining with the Padres for this entire ten year contract. No, uh, I would. I honestly, I'd be a little surprised if he even makes it to that five year opt out before being traded. For San Diego, like signing Machado is not going to make them a contender this year. Like you said, they do have a loaded farm system. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the the big name. So long term, we'll see. San Diego's probably gonna rise, but I mean, this is the the biggest thing they've done in a long time. They've been basically irrelevant since they they lost to the Yankees in the nineteen ninety eight World Series. So, I mean, it it could possibly work if if especially if Eric Cosmer uh, has a bounce back year and you know, taking the Cubs and Astros approach of just, you know, tanking and then loading up on prospects and, you know, eventually having some having some sort of postseason success. Okay, so you guys are kind of um, dropping some knowledge on me right now. <laughs> I thought this was a 10-year guaranteed contract. So it's guaranteed in the sense that he can like he'll he'll continue to be paid that much over the 10 years but he has an opt-out clause so if after five years he can opt out of his contract and become a free agent again but if he chooses Which to opt means in, he, he has the full 10 years so he'll he'll definitely make 150 million dollars and if he decides to stay with the padres he'll make all 300 million yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So the the way I don't know his, if it's exactly thirty every no, single year. No, no. So the way his contract but... breaks down, I think I was looking at it earlier, and it's like I don't know what the signing bonus is, but he's only making ten million in salary this year, and it's probably like twenty million in a signing bonus, and then it's thirty two million a year. Uh, yeah, thirty two million a year from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty eight. So he may opt out after twenty twenty three. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if it's exactly the 150, but yeah. So if if at that point he's gonna be 30 years old, so unless he just really hates his situation in San Diego, I can't imagine he's gonna make any more money after that. Although right. we'll we'll see. I mean, at that point, uh, it's five years from now. Who knows what what uh, kind of money will be invested in baseball teams at that point? So it is possible he could maybe get more, but. We are talking for a to... guy who's not really interested in winning and really just living it up in, you know, the nicest place possible. I think there's a good chance that he would stay, uh, you know, the entire ten years, unless if by that point, you know, halfway through the contract and the Padres end up hating him, like they could uh, maybe trade him and maybe maybe take the approach of what the Red Sox did with the Dodgers, 
when they traded away Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett in the, the waiver trade deadline and you know just got just able to dump all that salary uh, with the Dodgers when you know magic was running uh, things there. Yeah, I don't really know how that exit exactly will work for him, but in terms of the 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 short term short term impact that Machado's going to have, I I think that this this is an interesting move for San Diego. Uh, they were a team that was willing to spend some money. Like neither of us predicted him going to the Padres. Like I don't think either of us thought no, going to the offseason they would, would be a player for this kind no. of player. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, to me, the, the, the more interesting signing is Bryce Harper and that so many people thought the entire offseason he was going to go to the Phillies, yet it took until March and he before he finally signed there. And I had a lot of us wondering if he was just playing him this whole time. But he's locked up for 13 years and he has no opt-outs. He has a full no-trade clause. So he's basically committed to staying with Philadelphia for the entire 13 years of his contract and he's being paid 330 million dollars which is the highest free agent contract in North American sports history. So even though that his contract uh passes Giancarlo Stan for the most total um you know dollars wise uh the if you look at his contract it's only you know just over 25 million per year which which obviously anyone would love to have but um when you compare it to Nolan Arenado's contract that he just got with uh or the extension they just got with the rockies eight years i think it was 260 plus million so over 30 million dollars a year uh even even more than machado i it's still a great contract to have don't don't get me wrong but i i feel like he could have gotten even more given that arenado got just as much more uh you know per yearly salary and yeah well harper's goal all along was long-term stability over annual value and that's right, kind of a that's Scott ridiculously thing as well. long. That's thirteen years is ridiculous. Oh like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, in any I, sport, thirteen years is always ridiculous. It doesn't matter who the player is. It, it right. Won't. So what's the thought process here? What? Why make a deal that long? Like, if you're the Phillies, why does it make sense to want to be able to say like, oh, if we don't have Bryce Harper when he's thirty nine, like that we won't be able as good as we should be. You know, we need him when, on in his thirty ninth year. That's why we got to go for thirteen, baby. You know, what what's well, the you, thought process there? I I don't know. I I don't understand why a team would want to sign this guy for that kind of a deal. So Bryce Harper, twenty fifteen NL MVP. He's been an All Star six of his seven seasons, but. He's not coming off a great year in Washington. He didn't even bat 250. He had he had 34 home runs, but he only had a 1.8 wins above replacement. So you're locking up a guy, and he's an exciting player. And in theory, he's gonna put up some MVP seasons in Philadelphia. But it, I I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a great long term commitment. Uh, why why teams would want to sign a player and have him locked up for 13 years, especially look at some of the other contracts around baseball, like Albert Pujols, the, who he was in his 30s when he signed with the Angels, but they regret that contract by this point. And I don't know if teams... Alex are Rodriguez as well. Oh, Twice yeah. Twice he got like 10-year contracts for like 200 plus million. And I mean, the first 10-year uh, contract i mean was probably not too bad because he won multiple mvps and even world series but maybe that second you know long extension 
for 10 plus years at 200 plus million, whatever it was, uh, they probably regret that one a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with Harper, he's going to be signed until he's 38, 39 years old. I think the, so the, the way that his contract breaks down is he's going to be making 26 million in the first 10 years. And then the last three, it goes down to $22 million, But you're still paying a guy who's 37 years old $22 million. So you have no idea what you're going to get at Harper at the end. And for the Phillies, you don't necessarily want to think about that long term. They're in this, we're making this move now. We were a really good team, won a World Series, kept our veterans a little too long, and ended up being one of the worst teams in baseball for a few years. Now it looks like they're they're back in it. They're going to be a contender again. And adding Harper is just, you know, he's going to rejuvenate that that fan base even more. And we know Philly fans, uh, you know, how, how tough they can be on players. So we'll see how that marriage exactly works. But I do think in terms of Harper going to the Phillies, it's, it's a great signing. And it's still, like, with how little I guess they're paying him in the sense that he's only making $26 million the next few years, it leaves the option of them still adding Mike Trout in free agency in a couple of years. Another thing to uh, mention about Bryce Harper is that, um, you know, he plays the game really, really hard. And, you know, of course you want that out of a player, but one example that I can think of that it might not help is Dustin Pedroia on the Red Sox. You know, he's always been a guy who's played his ass off every time he's out there and, you know, he he still has like three years on his deal, and he can he can barely even step on the field now. Like his career is probably just about done. And so, um, so not only does he play the game hard, but um, another thing with Bryce Harper is that he has a you know unusual batting you know you know swing in his in his uh in his game. So I wonder if he'll have you know major hip problems, uh you know down the road you know halfway through his contract or not and. You know whether we can keep up that longevity. There's no way he's going to last 13 years. You know, playing at a you know high level, but you know maybe eight, nine, if ten years, if they can get that out of him, and maybe a couple World Series, then it's probably worth it. One of my favorite Bryce Harper takes that I saw on the internet was, um, "Man agrees to live in Philadelphia for 330 million dollars." <laughs> <laughs> But you mentioned um, Mike Trout and that the Phillies potentially could sign him. Certainly, I, at least just based on sports takes that I've seen, like Mike Trout would get a more uh, an even richer contract than these two guys, right? You would think so. He's he's the best player in baseball right now. So we're thinking probably like you know twenty five years. Four, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I saw that the the Angels are reportedly willing to offer him ten years, three hundred fifty million. So thirty five million a year, not as much of a you know, not thirteen years, but it's still a, a decade long agreement, and it's more money than Harper was just given. So I, I would think that it's going to be somewhere in that range. You're talking Mike Trout is he just his talent wise, he has a pen, potential to go down as the greatest ever. If he's able to keep up what he's accomplished to this point, at least in terms of what, what he's accomplished individually. Now, the Angels haven't had a whole lot of success, only one playoff appearance, so it's hard to compare him to some of the other guys who have won championships. But in terms of just how great Mike Trout is, he's the ultimate five-tool player, and he's not someone you can envision slowing down um, in the next few years. So, uh, it, Even for, Bryce Harper himself has said that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. So. Yeah. He he should probably get what if 
he probably won't get 13 years, but he should definitely get more than 330 million if Bryce Harper's has- getting that. Mike Trout is the perfect name to be like the the goat at baseball like what it what a manly name mike trout you know <laughs> like it's a it's a fish like it's such a man i feel thing. like he'd be the best name for bass pro fisherman right yeah <laughs> that too much <laughs> joe salmon or like <laughs> bubba catfish like these are all great names and mike trout is the uh, is a real one i uh i don't know i i like mike trout the more i hear about him the more it sounds like he's just a working class goat in which is perfect for baseball well yeah except baseball doesn't know how to market him and he doesn't want to market himself what are so. you talking about he's been that's in why he's working subway, class he's been in all those subway commercials and selling chicken teriyaki <laughs> footlongs yeah of course they can market him <laughs> it I, I I don't know. He's he's from Philadelphia, so for me, like in terms of Bryce Harper to the Phillies, I think the biggest reason why I was against him going there at the start of the off season was because I didn't think that they should commit to Harper over Trout. But hearing that they can still get both of them, uh, just with the way that this contract is structured, makes it that would be awesome if you had both Trout and Harper in the same outfield. Uh, I think that would certainly make the Phillies a a World Series contender year in and year out as long as the two of them are in their prime. So uh, I guess on, on the topic of Harper in terms of how much his value is, so the Nationals have been one of the better teams in baseball since Harper was called up in 2012. They have missed the playoffs a couple times, including this past year where they, they disappointed and finished below 500. But what kind of impact is this going to have on Washington going forward? Because to me, I don't think losing Harper all of a sudden means that they're going to be one of the worst teams in baseball by any means. And I still think that they are very much capable of winning the division this year. I mean, they still have pretty good rotation with you know Scherzer and Strasburg. And, uh, I, they added sure Patrick too. Corbin as well. Oh, and Corbin, right. Yeah, as well. So, I mean, I mean, they could still make possibly win the division. I'm not sure, but... I mean, they've always been losing in the first round of the playoffs anyway, so uh, it doesn't change my mind in terms of, you know, go, making a deep run. And I mean, they just their playoff chances are obviously just much worse now, though. Sure, especially I mean, Harper is he's going to a team in the division as well, so that that in theory makes the Phillies better. But the Nationals also have a young star in Juan Soto, who could be just as good, if not better, than Bryce Harper. Uh, and to me, I, I still think that Washington's going to be in the picture. And it, it, it's just kind of an interesting concept to me just because – so when you look at some of the other sports, basketball in particular, let's – so I'm not going to say that Bryce Harper is the best player in Major League Baseball, but to just compare him to a guy like LeBron James. So the Cavs lost LeBron James in free agency for nothing twice, and they went from being one of the best teams in the league to one of the worst teams in the league. Whereas in baseball, losing a guy like Harper doesn't necessarily have that impact, especially on a team like the Nationals who have so many other star players. So I think that's just like another interesting factor to play into signing one of these guys and committing so much of your your payroll to an individual player in baseball because, you know, while some of these guys have have an effect on the game you see the the best wins above replacement war in the league is usually around like seven or eight wins so if you're talking a 500 team that that's still less than 90 wins that's not necessarily a playoff team just by you're adding not this com- one guy. you're not completely doomed if you lose your you know a player like that in in that sport basketball is the only sport where if you lose your star player you're 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 screwed but 
in the other sports, you're fine, I think, because, I mean, the I'm, I'm pretty sure, didn't Albert Pujols leave after the 2011 World Series? Yeah, so they won yeah, the World and, Series. and they still made the World Series a couple years later. But even though they lost, they still, you know, they still had some They some made the playoffs success, four years but, in a row after yeah, they left. And, yeah, and, you know, John Tavares, he left for Toronto, uh, and the Islanders, even though they're their roster doesn't look good at all. They're they actually, got better. They're actually in the playoff race right now. So you're not completely screwed in the other sports if you lose your star player. But in basketball, you know, using the example of LeBron, like, yeah, of course you're going to be horrible. Yeah, so I guess in terms of baseball, it's it's really about the the big market who can afford players because, yeah, they lost Harper, but they signed Patrick Corbin, who a lot of people consider the third best free agent um, and certainly the best starting pitcher after uh, – Machado and Harper so to me I, I just think that's kind of going to be interesting to see where Washington goes from here but it's it's not like they're going to be in full-on panic mode like they're going to be going back to the exposed days where they were terrible yeah. West. Yeah, they're still going to be a contender when they had Vlad Guerrero and then like 24 bums yeah 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 it wasn't like that it's, case it's not with that Bryce bad Harper. no 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 um so now at this point we we've we have our two top free agents have signed we only have two really big names left, and that's Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. And they're both in interesting situations because on one hand with Kimbrell, so he was the, the Red Sox closer the past few years. He's his 300-something saves in his career. He's been one of the best closers in baseball for the past few years, but he was awful in the playoffs. And as a Red Sox fan, I did not want to see him come back after that. And it sounds like they're they're being smart and they're not going to pay a closer a uh, six year, hundred million dollar contract. But you got to question what, what's going to happen with Kimbrell moving forward. Now that these two guys are signed is only a matter of time before he gets a deal. And is he going to get anywhere close to what he expects? No, I highly doubt he gets anywhere um, near the hundred million dollar contract that he thinks he's worth, especially after the postseason where he was, you know, basically a disaster waiting to happen. But I was I used to be fully against bringing back Kimbrel uh, as the closer for Boston, but if he can if they can bring him back on like a one year deal, you know, fifteen million or whatever the number is, I wouldn't be totally against that. Especially now that they don't have Joe Kelly. And say what you want about Kimbrel's postseason and Joe Kelly's inconsistency, they were the two best relievers in that bullpen, and their bullpen really isn't that good. And it wasn't good all year until the postseason which is why both of us really didn't think they would actually win the World Series uh, last year. And yeah. So, I mean, I think I think for the postseason, it won't be that bad if they don't bring him back because, you know, we saw in the postseason that they were able to use their starters uh, a lot more in, the in you know, the later innings, like especially Evaldi. I mean, maybe one thing they could do is maybe use Evaldi as a closer. I'm not sure, but... If they don't bring back Kimbrel, it's not the end of the world. No. So as as also as a Pirates fan, I know very well uh, how easy it can be to just go from closer to closer. Because in 2013, Jason Gurley was a closer for the Pirates, one of the best in baseball. And then he started to struggle, and they were able to quickly transition from Gurley to Mark Melanson. 
and Mark Melanson, after struggling with the Red Sox, was phenomenal with Pittsburgh. And then when Melanson was set to be a free agent, they traded him for Felipe Vasquez. And Vasquez has been one of the best closers in baseball. He was an all-star last year. Uh, he was near the top of the league in saves. So for me, I don't see a need to commit to a closer for a six-year, $100 million deal or really any anything significantly close to that. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if that's really the philosophy among a lot of teams right now because the Red Sox have said they don't want to pay him, and now the question is who else will. So I think the Phillies are a team that is very much in the conversation. The Braves, where he started his career, could certainly return there. I don't know if a team's just going to give him a one-year prove-it deal and he's going to be willing to accept that or if it's going to have to be at least a three- or four-year commitment, though. And that's really what the biggest thing with a lot of these guys are is they want this long-term security and a lot of teams are hesitant to give them that because they don't want to get burned by a, a big contract. So, like, you know, entering this season, you know, of course the Red Sox, they don't have as great of a bullpen as other teams. And, but I think that if they can do what they did last year and traded, when they traded uh, Jalen Beeks for Nathan Navaldi, everyone was wondering, like, you know, who is this guy that they're trading for? But then, of course, Nathan Navaldi end, ends up being a postseason hero. Uh, I'm not saying that every, you know, it's always going to pan out that way, but if they could get the most value in return for, you know, lower level prospects or, you know, not not as highly touted prospects in their system, uh, I'm before that as well. Yeah, so in in the case of Keuchel, who, and we know Ben's a big fan of him. uh, Huge. (laughs) He, so he's a soft tossing ground ball pitcher, and in today's, baseball era where we're starting to turn more of a the strikeout or home run kind of guys at the plate so everyone's he wants to be throwing 97 98 miles an hour so i don't know if that's the biggest reason why keichel hasn't been signed personally i would love the pirates to go out and get him uh, whether it's for you know just a one-year deal two three years uh, and just really make that rotation go from one of the, the best in the National League to like right up there as potentially the best with uh, Jamison Tyone, Chris Archer, and Trevor Williams already at the top. But uh, I don't really know what the interest is with Keuchel at this point. I know the Phillies are another another team that's in on him. Like they, They've been uh, connected to all of the top free agents uh, since the start of the, the offseason. But those two guys are the, the last two, Keuchel and Kimbrell, that are really you can say why are they not on a team and it makes makes a lot of a lot of people question what's going on with um, baseball teams not willing to pay star players if it's really that big of an issue i mean i think he should just take the you know the one year prove it deal if you know if it's that big of an issue to sign him to a long term contract of like you know 6 7 8 years and i'm not sure i don't understand why someone like that is still still in the market when spring training is really just underway. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, yeah, that's it just blows my mind how some of these guys don't get signed before spring training. And it's the second straight offseason where it's been like that. And because of that, uh, that's why a lot of players are saying, "Hey, there there could be a strike in coming years. We're fed up." We and, and a lot of it is analytics get involved. Players don't like being told by the, the sabermetric people that they're not as good as they think they are. And that's a big reason why teams are hesitant to, to pay these guys because everyone wants to take that money ball Oakland A's approach. 
And I think with a lot of teams, if you're not going to be able to compete right at the top, it's easy to take that tanking approach as well and not spending money. And we saw that as an issue last year. The A's and the Rays and the Pirates were three of the four teams who Major League Baseball investigated for not spending money. A's won winning 97 games and made the playoffs, while Tampa won 90 and the Pirates won 82. So teams have found ways to have some form of success without paying guys contracts that are that could be easily regrettable. Um, but because of that, I do think that the, the labor issues could could really be significant um, in the coming years, 2021, when when the current CBA is set to expire. So when, so, uh, so oh no, go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. So, okay, well, on the other side of it, I know that baseball doesn't have a salary cap like football; it has a luxury tax. Is there any? Are there any like baseball organizations that are just so, so rich? So baseball that they can does have a luxury the, tax. No, oh wait, wait, I misspoke then. What I meant to say is that unlike football, which has a salary cap, you literally yes. can't spend too much. Baseball has a luxury tax. And are there any organizations that have the kind of cash flow where they can afford to pay the luxury tax? Yeah, yeah. The Red Sox are one of the teams who are paying the luxury tax, and they just won the World Series. They had so many contracts in recent years. And this is something actually in the the second episode of the Ben and Corey podcast. I was when they announced the JD Martinez signing, I was talking about how how horrible they were when it came to signing free agents in the last 15 years, 20 years or so, but they won four World Series in that time. So there are teams like the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers who can afford to overpay players and you know maybe they'll have to pay a luxury tax. These owners can they can afford it if they're willing to and if some of these guys don't work out, they just go in and sign a new one and who cares? They owe twenty million dollars to someone that's not going to help the team, and they can still win a World Series. So um, that that is another thing. It's like with some of these small market teams, they can't afford to do that. So as a Pirates fan, it, that's that's part of the hesitation with Keuchel is if you were to sign him to any kind of a significant deal and he doesn't turn out well, they're not going to be able to afford to play pay their their good young players who are set to make make their due with money. So when David Price was given the choice of whether to opt in or opt out uh, for the Red Sox, he of course opted in, and he was asked, like, you know, what was the you know decision uh, making process uh, for staying with Boston? He said, like, have you seen the market out there for starting pitchers? Like, it looks <laughs> terrible right now. And you know, even though David Price ended up being you know awesome in his last few games in uh, the ALCS and the World Series, and you know should have been the MVP of that World Series, I think. Um, like, do you think the Red Sox would still pay him thirty million, you know, seven years, two hundred ten million, uh, thirty million a year? Like, they would no, they wouldn't do no. that. Even though with that success he had, like, even like he was awesome in the in the, you know, versus Houston and L.A. Like, even with that, like, they would not do the seven year deal again for thirty million a year. They would not do that at all. No. Yeah, if he opted out, he was not going to get a better deal. Like there yeah. wasn't there wasn't a possibility. Once he they won the World Series and he had a successful postseason, there was mm-hmm. no chance he was going to opt out because at that point it was like he wouldn't be making money elsewhere and the fans have grown to appreciate him enough that he's going to be willing to stay in Boston for another 4 years. But I yeah, I I agree. I I don't think that he would get that kind of deal knowing what we know now if you know after his 2016 and 2017 season certainly just because 
he was he was decent when he was healthy, but he had he had his health issues in 2017. He had his off the field issues, and of course, he had his playoff struggles throughout his career. So, uh, with a lot of these guys, who you can maybe justify they're worth worth a lot of money in baseball, it's it's so easy to be able to look at the analytics and say, ah, maybe they're not worth that much. Maybe you don't want to give this kind of uh, long-term agreement and pay them this much money, but the players refuse to accept that. You know, one of the one of the reasons why there could be possibly a strike within the next you know couple of years is like how competitive the league is now. I mean, I remember Corey, we l- talked about last time. Um, you're, we were talking about the rule propositions, and one of them was uh, for you know a punishment for bad teams for the draft, and you know rewards for the good teams. Like that would just make it. St- a lot less competitive like the 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 bad teams would be really really bad and the good teams would be so much better like even though the red Sox they have had bullpen issues for the past couple of years they're gonna win probably at least 100 games and maybe a, near 108 again like because of how you know non-competitive it is i mean you know we talked about how last time we were on uh you know baltimore you know baltimore i mean yeah they're really bad but it's not like they're purposely tanking besides training no. Machado like their players are just that bad it's just the competitive there's a competitive issue uh um in, throughout the league I think and it's kind of hurting the game yeah and seeing like like you've been mentioning a lot seeing the Cubs and the Astros after years of futility take great prospects with the top top three top five picks and turn them into a world series winning team uh, that's that's something that a lot of teams want to take that approach. You look at the Kansas City Royals; they win the World Series in 2015, and then when now they three can't even years, win 50 they, games. Yeah, they can't afford their their players, and they're gone. But they got that championship, and mm-hmm. that's just kind of the the cycle with some of these small market teams. So I agree that the competitive imbalance is is very alive and well in Major League Baseball right now, and it, it could easily happen that we have. Another case where you have like four or five teams win a hundred games and four or five teams lose a hundred. So I think that's uh that's good enough for for baseball free agency for now. Uh, we will be doing baseball preview in uh, coming episodes later this month with the season set to begin. But let's move on, and we will do embrace the bait. So. Duke freshman Zion Williamson suffered a knee sprain in the opening minute of his team's recent February 20th game against rival North Carolina that has kept him out of the eventual loss in the team's subsequent games against Syracuse, Virginia Tech, and Miami. With a star forward widely considered to be one of the top picks in the 2019 NBA draft, should he strongly consider sitting out the remainder of the NCAA season? Yeah, um, this is easy. Yes, he should absolutely sit out, for sure. Zion Williamson is one of the, and again, I'm not super tenured with the NBA draft, but it seems like he's as sure of a shot as you can have for an NBA career. Uh, I don't, I don't see people passing on him at number one at this point because oh, like he didn't play after his injury. I, I think that Zion's in a position to show the NCAA that they need to take better like take better care of their players because right now Zion Williamson is making 
Duke a lot of money in ticket sales. They uh, that that game where he ended up um, hurting, like getting the injury, where his shoe exploded. Barack Obama was one of the few people who was able to afford a ticket because <laughs> the tickets were so freaking expensive. Um, and guess how much of that money Zion Williamson, who yes, he's a huge reason why those tickets cost so much. Guess how much of that money he gets? Zilch. None of it. He's just you know slaving away on the hardwood and getting no compensation for it. Okay, not no compensation for it, but not enough compensation for the star power that he brings to the court. So yeah, I think Zion Williamson should hold on. Like he should like count his blessings that his injury wasn't worse, and he should say, you know what, NCAA, you've got you've got all you're gonna get, and he can go to the go to the league and make a lot of money uh, because that's what he deserves. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm I'm t- kind of torn on this one because I do agree with Ben's points, but uh, it's just that you're kind of ratting out your teammates also. But then again, like the most important goalie that you have is making the making the NBA and being being healthy by you know by Ju- by June or July or whenever the draft comes. Like so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you just don't want to rat out your teammates, but at the same time, it's just like the NBA success is just so much more important, especially if you're not getting paid uh, while playing college basketball. Yeah. What about your Knicks teammates? What about them? (laughs) You got to keep them in mind. (laughs) Are you talking about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Is that who you're talking about? I don't know. I I don't know where Zion's going to go, but whoever his future teammates are, they're counting on him. So, uh, and I think that that in the end will matter more than his tenure at Duke. Uh, Does he, what is his connection to Duke? Why did he choose them over like other schools? The brotherhood. The brotherhood. Yeah. That was what he said. I don't know. Whatever, whatever the brotherhood means. I I interpreted that as uh, that that's (laughs) Duke was paying him more than RJ Barrett. Yeah. No, he just, they, they had three top 10 players. He's like, all right, might as well make it four. He really didn't have a connection to Duke. It made way more sense for him to go to Clemson in terms of having a connection, being from upstate South Carolina. Uh, Duke was kind of a surprise choice. But yeah, so as a North Carolina fan who hates Duke, who is super upset that Zion chose Duke over South Carolina and North Carolina, I absolutely want him to sit out and not play the rest of the season because I don't want Duke to win the national championship. And him not playing gives North Carolina a better chance to win. I don't know if he's actually going to, um, just because he is such a big competitor. And everyone's kind of making these comments about uh, the you know, the NCAA making players play one year in college, even though it's an NBA rule. And he said even if he could go straight to the pros, he would go to college for a year just to have that fun college experience be the big man on campus and you know have a good time try to compete for a national championship before going to the nba um so just knowing that i think if he is healthy he'll probably give it a shot in the acc tournament and the ncaa tournament and you know see if he can have that success for duke i hope that he just at this point is like yeah it's not worth coming back i need to get ready for the draft i'm gonna be the number one overall pick in all likelihood and i don't want to jeopardize that by an even worse injury so in coach k said after the miami game that he is not close to being back or at least wasn't close to being able to play in that game so that tells me he's not going to play this week against wake forest or north carolina in the rematch so from there it's a matter of what tournament does he come back for and 
at that point, is it worth him coming back just to see if he can win a championship at Duke versus sitting out the rest of the way and preparing for June? If you're, if there was ever a clear sign for why you should sit out, it would be your well-crafted Paul George 2.5s ex- literally exploding <laughs> while you're wearing them, okay? So... I don't know. That's an omen. I think I think Zion should sit out. Mainly, though, I'm just using this as a pawn uh, because I think that the NCAA uh, doesn't uh, I like compensate their players correctly. I'm not saying they necessarily need to be signing multi-million dollar contracts with a school to play there for one year, um, but I, I don't think that for what they bring to the school, I don't think that they're compensated properly. And Zion has the power to say... Oh, you don't okay. You don't get this. You don't get all of this, uh, Zion Williamson. You know, <laughs> yeah. So. You know, Zion Zion sitting out March Madness would certainly be a little detrimental to the NCAA. People are still going to watch games. They're still going to fill out brackets. They're still going to care. But you know, having that star power with Zion is certainly an extra appeal. And the NCAA uh, would still make a huge profit if they paid the players. So yeah, so, there really hasn't been a lot of buzz you know, before the tournament, like, uh, besides Zion, like, there hasn't been really any buzz throughout college basketball besides him. Oh, yeah, he's been huge for the NCAA this year because everyone just wants to talk about Zion. And even though Duke has the number one and the number three recruit in RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, and they're both really good players, they both had very solid seasons, all the talk is on Zion. So, now all the talk is on when will Zion come back. So I guess that keeps that relevancy there. But not having him on the court, that takes away a little bit of the appeal, wanting to tune in and watch Duke when they're on TV every single night. Uh, but I guess in terms of, Ben, you say that uh, NCAA doesn't comp- compensate players enough. What do you have in mind in terms of how they would go about giving more compensation? I don't know. There's so many factors to it. And I, I've never been a college athlete, so I don't know what that experience is like. I think that something that pays out once your college career is completed, I think would make a lot of sense. So, you know, the, the same lifestyle that they currently live, um, you know, maybe for some players, you know, help them out with like f- living arrangements and food and stuff like like the necessities. Yeah, and but that's, I understand that's what they already do. Already that, do is, that. that is a thing. Like they've they've picked that up in terms of, not just giving them full ride scholarships to play, but also with in terms of like the the housing and the food and stuff. And I think they get like hundreds of dollars worth of food per week. So right, but it's like where are where's the jersey sales? Where is the you're right? You know the 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 percentage of the revenue that they bring in that wouldn't have been brought in without them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that there's like I, again, I'm not saying that they should be necessarily be like selling autographs and like doing um, commercials for Subway, but there I think that this they should be a part of the revenue. They should get that profit sharing, uh, something that they're currently not getting a slice of right now. No, and so I think logistically, I don't know how it would work out in terms of paying players as they're playing. Uh, because then you you have all the factors of how do you determine how much a player is worth? Is it just the schools hand out money free will? Because then you're gonna like, does that mean you have to pay the walk-ons money? Does that mean you have to pay other sports, not just your college football and basketball players, but do you have to start paying your track and field and your swimming team? Uh, and 
then going down from there, are we just doing this Division One or Division Two and Division Three players title to stuff? Because I know there are a lot of schools who would not be able to afford their pay to pay their players. Um, and then one point you said is that you don't think it should be until after they're done playing. And I, I totally agree. I would say, I would go as far as to say that they don't get paid until after they graduate. So that way makes it the full student athlete experience as long as they, they keep up their student work and they, they graduate whenever that happens, that is when they can start receiving the revenue for it. Because the guys who just show up and they play one year, they're there for a semester and a half before leaving go to the, you know, prepare for the NBA draft or the NFL draft. I, I don't know if that's necessarily justifiable because they are going to get a ton of money and they can still find ways to go about that but i think in terms of the players who they they go pro in something other than sports um, it would be reasonable to you know after they graduate give some kind of compensation to help them long term it's been such an issue with like todd Gurley, aj green and terrell Pryor getting suspended suspended and i who was that girl at notre dame who made the game-winning shot in the to win the championship Rike and to beat UConn. Yeah, even even her, she got an appearance on Dancing with the Stars and the school was against it because she was able to profit, if, especially if she won. I'm not, I have no idea what her results were I didn't even uh, know in that she contest. Was on with or if she even that did seems, it. But like, I, just, I yeah. just remember that story was brought up about her, her possibly you know, joining Dancing with the Stars and the school was just not for it at all, and which was such a shame. Yeah, and I, I don't want to sit here like I'm I'm fully in, in favor of the NCAA because there's some horrible things like in terms of GoFundMes for players who suffer horrible injuries or not even just injuries just have like off the field things happen like um, family members dying unexpectedly and, and stuff like that and the NCAA won't let people have their own GoFundMes to help them you have to go through like the specific um fundraiser so i think there there's a lot of a lot of corrupt things when it comes to the ncaa i just don't know the the best way to go about compensating players if they were to go down that path and that's that's my only thing is it just feels like logistically there'd be a lot more to it than people have envisioned in their heads One. right and just because we don't know the exact solution doesn't mean that we shouldn't work towards one though and again it's no, like I, oh i agree yeah yeah I, I did agree with uh, Shabazz Napier when he he brought up the fact that his the meal plan for for an athlete like him who uh, is pretty much pretty much doing twenty four seven you know focused on the court pretty much and was barely able to afford anything outside of like you know school and uh, I'm glad the NCAA uh, supported him and like the food plan that he brought up. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that was great that they did that. And it still kind of blows my mind that they're not allowed to just have, like, summer jobs and stuff. But I, I do understand the, the concept of uh, players, then you get paid, like, thousands and thousands of dollars for menial labor by boosters. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I agree with the whole sentiment that it's, it's, it's a bit of a broken system, and... I don't know what the solution is. We, we should be working toward one. Uh, and until that happens, Zion Williamson should not play for Duke ever again. And yep, let go someone else league. win the national championship. That's that's my, my overarching take on this. So, all right, let's move on to our next segment. And 
That is goodbye, old friend. So on February 28th, ESPN announced that Jason Witten will be leaving his position with the company as the lead analyst for Monday Night Football to return to the Dallas Cowboys. So we're saying goodbye to his ESPN career on Monday Night Football and hello again to his return to the NFL as he is unretired going back to the Cowboys. And I don't know if it's a win for the Cowboys, but it's a win for us because we don't have to listen to Jason Witten on Monday Night Football anymore. That is so correct, Corey, because, oh my gosh, he was horrible. Um, <laughs> do you, did you guys see that? Um, so the, the Onion has this like fake like, sports radio segment called The Morning Sweat. And uh, they had a morning sweat episode about Jason Witten where they're reporting on how he went zero for 65 talking on Monday Night Football. <laughs> and <laughs> where they talked about how he like he repeatedly fumbled words and ended multiple drives with back to back incomplete thoughts. And uh, <laughs> it was like a parallel to him being like a quarterback, basically. Yeah. But um, I watched a like a highlight reel of his worst like moments and they're bad. There was one uh, early in the season where I think it was San Francisco versus Detroit. And he was saying, um, Oh no, it wasn't Detroit. Anyways, he was San Francisco was in the game. He goes, San Francisco can't keep kicking themselves in the foot like that. Kicking yourself <laughs> in the foot. Come on. <laughs> and then, uh, and then there was another one where he was, uh, he was like he's he's talking about the pass rush and he was like, Yeah, when they when those linebackers blitz off the edge, it's uh it's it's so hard for the quarterback and he like draws a line from like the edge rusher De- like around the t- the right tackle to the quarterback. He draws a line and then the play begins a replay and the that the person he pointed on going to the edge rush does a stunt and goes straight through the middle. Now nowhere near where he just <laughs> drew it. And then uh and it goes on. He also would not talk sometimes when uh who is he with who is his uh Tessator? partner Joe Tessator? Joe Tessator. Yeah, J- Joe, yeah. yeah Tessator. when Tessator would, as well well he would say something like Kittle is really flashing this year isn't he and then Jason Witten would just be radio silence for like <laughs> 10 seconds and then <laughs> until something else happened on the field um he also Danny Trevathan tweeted at ESPN and uh Jason Witten because um, he kept because Jason Witten called him all night, Janny Trevathian, all night long. That's what he called him on Monday Night Football. And at this point, Danny Trevathan's been in the league for seven years, and that's not even that hard of a name, Trevathan. I mean, it's maybe not the most common last name, but like, where, where are you getting Trevathian? You think at? after one commercial break, they'd just be like, "Oh, hey, Jason, uh, it's Trevathan," and then and then just go back to you know <laughs> right, saying exactly. it right, not the just the entire game. <laughs> Or you know, and then the the my favorite one. This is my last one to Jason Witten, but my favorite one because this was uh, 49ers um, uh, against the Packers on Monday Night Football, where Aaron Rodgers let it come back at the end of the game, and it was what classic Aaron Rodgers like two minute drill drive, you know. And Jason Witten goes, Aaron Rodgers manages to pull a rabbit out of his head. <laughs> 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 so yes goodbye old friend but we're not gonna miss him in the in the analyst no. booth at all no you, no you know, I, as, as much as i want to watch that video that ben just talked about like at the same time he's such a nice guy that i i, I don't want to you know t- 
talk talk too much you know crap about him and and not everyone is tony romo when they first enter the broadcast booth so I'm no everyone thought slack. oh another dallas cowboy like tony romo is so successful win has yeah. to be and uh, <laughs> no no he just wasn't cut out for it now in terms of him going back to the cowboys i don't know how much he's gonna have left in him because he took a year off football they said that he's going to be expected to play no more than 25 snaps per game. So he's getting paid $3.5 million to be a backup tight end. And Blake Jarwin really stepped up Week 17 against the Giants, but Dallas's tight ends this season overall weren't anything special. So it has to be somewhat welcoming if you're a Cowboys fan to you know bring back a legend. like That's awesome. Like I know I, I was really happy when the Steelers brought back James Harrison out of retirement, and he played really well with them. Um, until the end when he just couldn't get on the field but in terms of Witten I'm not sure what kind of success we'll see I I would love to see him play well on the field especially to try to make us forget about that awful season in the Monday Night Football booth um, but I well I think I I, I like to poke fun at Jason Witten in the booth because he, a he actually was as bad as people say he was and B because he is such a great tight end. And Mm -hmm. I think the tight end position is one that you can still be relatively prolific at, even in old age, uh, you still see ancient Vernon Davis making plays, uh, every once in a while. Um, Antonio Gates is a great example of still being able to get it done in your old age. Um, Tony Gonzalez it was still great even into old age as well and I think Jason Witten is in the same uh, you know space as those guys so I think that especially if he's on board with his limited role I think that he can contribute to this team so as far as like uh, this as a decision as a whole I think this is an uh, amazing decision and Jason Witten is lucky that there's an availability for him to go join the Cowboys again because he's leaving a bad situation and going back to one that I think that maybe he won't be vintage Jason Witten, but I still think he can be a contributor. You know, even though Gronk took a huge dip uh, this past season, he was still amazing as a run blocker. So if maybe he could provide help in the running game and, and Zeke could, because their offense runs through Zeke. So uh, if, if he can provide uh, some good run blocking and, you know, the occasional catch or two uh, for each game, uh, I think it can help their team. The only problem I have is that I don't think Dallas can make a huge run in the postseason and, and win a Super Bowl with if Jason Garrett is still their head coach and Dak Prescott is still, you know, ha- still has horrible ac- – not horrible, but he, he's pretty he's, – he's not the most accurate quarterback, let's be honest. So. He did so much better when Amari Cooper got there, though. That's the, one of the I, reasons why I would still have hope. Because yeah, they don't, have the best they, receiver in football. I'm not going <laughs> to knock on your you hating on Jason Garrett because I agree. I think I think he is more of a detriment to the Cowboys' possible success than Dak Prescott is at this point. Yeah, and Dak his first his rookie year they 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 were a one seed uh, when you yeah. know, him oh, yeah. him and Zeke first entering the league. So so it's mostly on the head coach, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of Cowboys fans would agree with that uh, sentiment. So. Going back to the whole Monday Night Football thing, so Witten is gone. We still have Joe Testator. We have Booger McFarlane on his Booger Mobile. Oh. Uh, I don't know if they're just going to bring him into the booth and go with the two of them, but they should just stick the with question... him. They should just stick the two of them, <laughs> just <laughs> him, just Testator alone in the booth, and then Booger on the Booger <laughs> Mobile, <laughs> just going back and forth with each other. So, so wait. Well, if we were to add someone to the booth, who would you want it to be? 
Uh, I would like John Gruden back since he's was not exactly <laughs> great as a head coach for the Raiders. His first he's got year a ten-year deal. He is, you gotta wait for John I Gruden. He'll be I'm, back. I'm not. I'm not patient. <laughs> he <laughs> he went awful. and just decided uh, one year the, with their new job wasn't wasn't very good, so we gotta go back to what we know. Unless uh, if he is the goat at draft evaluations, he should just quit and go back to ESPN. <laughs> there, he he was getting paid plenty of money, even though it's not ten. 10 years, 100 million. He was still getting paid pretty good money at ESPN. So, and he was awesome in the booth. I don't care what anyone He was great. He yeah. was great. He yeah. made Monday he's, Night Football worth watching no matter who was out there. Right. He's not I leaving agree. the Raiders to go back to the booth. Though. No, he's he's not. I'm just saying like that's Not not after 1 year. Maybe after 10 is over. We'll see. I I, I would want yeah. him back and the that Gruden QB camp where he's like slapping like <laughs> pool noodles at everyone. <laughs> yes. That was a great show too. Okay, but for me, my who I'd want in, in the booth, this one's easy, and he's also a tight end. I want Gronkowski to retire and then have him go into the booth. He'd be way better than Witten. He'd be way more fun That'd because be he's yeah yeah. He would just he be would, like, oh, that was a nice play by number sixty nine there. Can you see that? <laughs> <laughs> nice block. That's, yeah. that's all he would do. And they're not even number sixty nine. He's just. <laughs> Oh, that was a great catch by uh, Antonio Brown there. But did you see number 69 on that block? <laughs> that one went for 69 yards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I a little more realistic option than what you guys are going. That also would be super entertaining. Has experience in the broadcast booth because he called a Week 17 game. And, of course, he's, he's hilarious with his own uh, podcasts and radio show, whatever exactly he does. Pat McAfee. The former Colts. Oh player. yeah, yeah. Oh, he he retired yeah. to go into media. I he, think it would be awesome if he were to even, go to ESPN we, and be their Monday Night Football guy. Week seventeen. I, I forgot what teams were on the field. It was the Packers and the Lions. Packers and Lions. Yeah, Packers yeah. And Lions. Right. Yeah. So I did get the teams right. Yeah. He was broadcasting the game and on the fake field goal, he was he actually made a oh. you know half decent call. That was electric. <laughs> it was an awesome yeah. call. Yeah. Matt yeah. Prater with a fake <laughs> field goal touchdown pass and. <laughs> Yeah, no, he he would so, he would no, have so no, much that's excitement. A, that's a good call. That he is. would make he I would like make that kickoffs, too. punts, and extra points the most exciting call in the entire game uh, for the brand. Uh, I I don't know if that's realistic for him to end up going to ESPN. I think if you're looking at an internal guy, Lewis Riddick would probably be like the best choice just in terms of someone who's knowledgeable and knows what he's talking about. Um, not a flashy hiring, but I I would prefer him over like. Randy Moss or Charles Woodson. I've got one for you. How about Peyton Manning? Peyton, yeah, that's another one I, I he heard. Was, he's been there. brought up the past couple of years. I don't know if he would do it or not. No, I, I, I don't know if I could actually picture him as a like an analyst doing games. I think he would be great for like the the pregame show stuff. Um, go join like NFL Today at CBS, but I don't know how he would be in terms of a color analyst. Um, well, I, he's been doing um, the I don't remember what they're called, but they're basically like his breakdowns of NFL highlights. Like, it, have you ever seen? Oh, yeah, um, I've seen, I've the seen Baldy yeah. breakdown. Yeah. I think Kobe yeah. did. The, yeah, basically yeah. like Kobe does. And, and yeah, Brian Baldinger does it, too. It's basically just like him glorifying whatever player he wants and breaking down like mm-hmm. certain plays, you know, and it's great. I, I like him. Um, and so I, I just love Peyton Manning. So I want to see him. Yeah, do more well, Peyton's stuff. awesome. Yeah, I, I want to see him do more stuff. Uh, I think the nationwide commercials he does are awesome. Vanishing um, deductible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see. 
Um, I'm definitely intrigued at who they replace Jason Witten with, and you got to think it's going to be somebody better. It's going to be hard to be worse. So that should yeah, be the good bar for is us. so low. <laughs> yep. All right. So Jason Witten, no longer the ESPN Monday Night Football analyst. He is the Dallas Cowboy again, though. But to you, we say goodbye, old friend. All right. So let's move on. To our next segment and that is wiki geeks and i'm gonna be honest this is actually the reason why i came up with this concept of wiki geeks a few months ago because i just wanted to sit in a, to- a podcast and talk about pac-man jones's legal issues because this is it, it is unreal how much stuff he has gotten into over the years and just recently he was arrested uh for so he, he was at an Indiana casino, uh, he was accused of cheating. It was 3 a.m., and he got in this big conflict, and they had to come and arrest him. So just another arrest to his profile. It actually hasn't even been added to his Wikipedia page, so I don't know if that just means it's not even a significant enough arrest to, to <laughs> talk about because he had so much worse stuff. But we're going to specifically go to legal issues. So just to add some background, Pac-Man Jones, NFL cornerback, Spent his first three seasons with the Tennessee Titans and the Dallas Cowboys before a long uh, stint with the Cincinnati Bengals from 2010 to 2017. He played parts of last season with the Denver Broncos before being cut in November. And I think it's fairly safe to say his NFL career is over at this point. We'll see if another team gives him a shot, but I would be surprised because he did not get signed by a team after Denver cut him for the final month of the season. So... Let's get into this. And right from the top, this is just crazy to me that he was on probation when he was drafted by the Titans with like the sixth overall pick in the draft. That just tells you how good he was. Um, But it was for a fight in West Virginia, and he encountered more legal trouble before even playing a down for Tennessee because in July of 2005, before training camp even started, I think, he was arrested on charges of assault and felony vandalism stemming from a nightclub altercation in Nashville. So already off to a great start to his career before his (laughs) career even started. Um, And then from there, uh, he had another incident involving police at a... the annual Nashville Sports Council kickoff luncheon, where he was a guest. That was September 5th, 2005. So I want to say that was a few days before that NFL season started. And I guess he refused to play, pay for valet services because he didn't have any money. So this is all Adam Pacman Jones' legal troubles before even playing in the NFL. Um, so he, he did go to the West Virginia University. So there is a, a lot of stuff early on. And I guess the, the state of West Virginia basically got his probation extended an extra 90 days because he wasn't making regular and sufficient contact with his probation officer and didn't report his July arrest in a timely fashion. So now let's get into after that season, February 2006, he was arrested in Georgia. Uh, there were charges of marijuana possession that were quickly dismissed, but the state pressed charges for felony and misdemeanor counts of obstruction of justice. And a couple months later, a Cadillac with Pac-Man stitched in the headrest was seized during a cocaine bust. Car was not registered to him at the time, but he told a local TV reporter that it was his car who he loaned to a drug dealer for a music video. And 
this this guy Daryl Jerome Moore is actually going to come into play later. Um, and, he's the drug dealer. Yeah, he's a drug dealer. So he, uh, yeah. So um, after that, later in August during training camp, he was arrested for disorderly conduct and public intoxication at a nightclub, and uh, he got a misdemeanor assault for allegedly spitting in the face of a Tennessee State University student at a Nashville nightclub, and was suspended by Titans for a game. Wow, dude. <laughs> yeah, so wait, has he played it down yet? He has. He's played at this point he has played one oh, NFL one season. One season. Okay. One yeah, season. Yeah. yeah. So I guess one and a half seasons um by the time he was finally suspended. But yeah, this is just 2005-2006. His first two seasons in the league. And then February 19, 2007 comes around and we we get a little break from Pac-Man from the NFL because of uh, this next section which is titled Las Vegas shooting case and suspension. <laughs> so, uh, I'll let one of you guys take over this section here. You go, Ben. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, it was the morning of February 19th, 2007. This is during the 2007 NBA All-Star game which is in you guessed it, Las Vegas. Um, so he got in an altercation with an exotic dancer. You know that there's plenty of exotic <laughs> dancing going on in Las Vegas. Um, at Minx, that was the name of the exotic dance club. That's what we'll call it. Um, he was there with Nelly. Um, yeah, right? And somebody, cool. <laughs> yeah, and somebody known as Richard Rich. Is that... Richie Rich? Is that the same? Or is it I, I don't Dick? know. <laughs> <laughs> <It doesn't... laughs> uh, he showered. Doesn't, doesn't have a link. Yeah. Okay. Well, he showered the stage with hundreds of one dollar bills in an act known as making it rain. Wikipedia yeah, is so educational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they have to put quotations around it? Like we all know what making it rain means. <laughs> So yeah, so, so the dancers started to collect all that, all those one dollar bills, um, and Pac Man got mad because one of the dancers was taking the money without his permission. Once you make it yeah, rain, I, it's not your money anymore, dude. Yeah, right. And uh, so he grabbed her by the hair and slammed her head on the stage. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and then a security guard intervened, and then suddenly members of Jones's entourage of uh, half a dozen people start to threaten the, the security guard's life. That's real mature. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's see. So during this time, Mitchell, which was the name of the club promoter that told the dancers to collect all the money, and a male associate left the club with a garbage bag filled with $81,000 and two expensive watches, which the police later recovered. So I guess they got out of there with the cash after the altercation got going. Um after club patrons left following the original confrontation, the club owner claimed a person in Joseph's entourage returned to the gun and fired into a crowd, <laughs> damaging equipment and hitting three people, including a security guard. The guard was shot twice, and one of the people hit former professional wrestling, oh, professional wrestler Tommy Urbanski. You guys know this yeah, guy? I've never heard of him. No, no clue. Oh, well, you probably wouldn't hear about him after this because he was paralyzed from the waist down. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Jones maintains that he did not know the shooter, although the club's owner insisted Jones did. Um, on March 26, 2007, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department recommended uh, to the district attorney uh, that Jones be charged with one count of felony, felony coercion and uh, one missed demeanor count of battery 
and one misdemeanor count of threat to life. So the battery is definitely for the exotic dancer and the uh, yeah. threat to the life for the security guard. So he's really racking them up in Las Vegas. What a weekend. <laughs> yeah. So from there, there's more trouble. Can you believe that? Uh, yes. So that, that drug dealer that I mentioned, Daryl Jerome Moore, he was arrested and there were wiretapped phone conversations between Moore and his friends where he was revealed that uh, Pac-Man had been betting on college games to earn money. And he said, you know, I was talking to him the other day about smoking. He was like, man, if I didn't smoke, I couldn't take all the stress that I'm dealing with right now. It's like, yeah, I'm sure he's under a lot of stress. <laughs> All, all that uh, illegal activity, all the arrests and stuff really, really gets you and t- <laughs> take a hit to your mental health. So. All right. Uh, so, yeah, later that June, the the Las Vegas Police Department and the, the district attorney's office announced that Jones would face two felony charges stemming from that strip club melee. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like an amazing name for, like, a fighting video yeah, game. Yeah, right. Strip club <laughs> melee. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, so then in that November, Jones accepted a plea deal and then later in December pleaded no contest to one charge of conspiracy to commit disorderly conduct, which is a misdemeanor. And he was uh, given a suspended prison sentence of one year probation in order to perform 200 hours of community service. So 2007, this is before the 2007 season, which he was suspended for did not play and never played for the Titans again. You so, know, this isn't even the only thing in 2007. Like, no, 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 If you look, no, if you look, no, if you look down at the page. Yeah, we're, May... we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Oh, we still got to okay, talk okay. about some stuff. So, yeah, so actually, so Tommy Urbanski, the wrestler, and his wife, Sue Jones, said, so they sued Jones and listed the Titans and the NFL as defendants. So, basically, Jones, reasonable that he was responsible for the shooting. They said he had bitten his left ankle. And they sued the Titans in the NFL because they didn't suspend him soon enough and saying that they knew this erratic behavior. And, like, had they suspended him before, he wouldn't have been at the All-Star game in Vegas and the event would not have taken place. So, uh, apparently, 2008, a document revealed that Jones paid $15,000 to various people involved in the Las Vegas shooting which when I first read that, I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like a lot. But then in 2012, a jury ordered Jones pay $11.6 million to Urbanski and Aaron Cudworth, who was uh, a bouncer who was wounded for his role in the shooting. He appealed, but in January 2015, the Nevada Supreme Court upheld the order for him to pay all that money. So this was eight years after the initial event took place. So now, Brian, we'll get into 2007 to present if you want to kind of start us off with this. You could write, I don't think this is a hot take, I think you could write a whole, like, 10-page paper on just Pac-Man Jones's legal issue life. You, you could write a this book. Thing is, this thing is so long. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> so on May 7, 2007, this is the same year of the Las Vegas thing, uh, <laughs> Pac- Pac-Man was stopped at, you know, past midnight, on uh, interstate heading down heading into downtown Nashville uh, after an officer clocked him on, on radar at 79 miles per hour on a 55 mile, mile per hour zone and Joan was, was driving his uh, 04 Cadillac which had been uh, seized in, <laughs> in April of 06 <laughs> for a cocaine bus <laughs> which he which he had brought back from the police at auction uh, and then nice. 
a month later, in June of 2007, wow, he, he had a great year in 07. <laughs> uh, in June of 07, Jones was sought by police for questioning after a shooting at an Atlanta strip club. How many sh- strip clubs has he destroyed? <laughs> <laughs> Probably too many. Uh, yeah, so the Atlanta strip club allegedly involving members of his entourage. Of course he has an entourage. Yes. He yes. wouldn't just do this all by himself. Uh, <laughs> according to the police at the scene, Jones was not present during the shooting and was not being charged. But in August of... Uh, August 13 of 2007, um, regarding the the Las Vegas strip club incident, Jones uh, told uh, Bryant Gumbel of HBO Sports uh, he was innocent and, and he had never hit the stripper or told anyone he was going to kill them. Does anyone believe that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, when asked about uh, friend and convicted drug dealer Daryl Moore, Jones said that he did not know Moore was a drug dealer. I doubt it. And, and and felt surprised and betrayed. Jones also said he did not think he got a fair say in his April meeting with Goodell. Because who has gotten a fair meeting with Goodell? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I assume and, that was when he was suspended. Yeah, probably like that, that entire season. Um, now, in January of January 15 of 08, uh, you know, when he set up his New Year's resolutions of never to, you know, hit a woman again, he got accused of hitting a woman in a strip club in, you guess where, Atlanta again on the morning of <laughs> in January 3rd. So his New Year's resolution, if he had one, did not last long. Uh, the woman, Wanda S. Jackson, was seeking an arrest warrant like every everyone else. Um, (laughs) like the other you know 170 people that he's hurt yeah like everyone who's ever met him in real life yeah (laughs) (laughs) on june 21 of 2008 uh the the ap uh reported jones's one and a half million dollar home was in foreclosure the home and 30 acres uh located in a nashville suburb was sold on june 27th on the on the steps of the Williamson County Courthouse. Uh, let's see. October. Yeah, so we're not even done, folks. We still have a few <laughs> more to go. On October 8 of 2008, Jones was involved in an altercation with his bodyguard in a Dallas hotel. Although there was no police report, nor was anyone arrested or charged. Jones was suspended a minimum, a minimum of four games by the NFL for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Yes, doing all this to bodyguards, strippers, is the same as deflating footballs. I totally agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. What a paradox it is to get in a fight with your own bodyguard. Like <laughs> they can't they can't they can't fight you because they're supposed to be protecting you. <laughs> you have no one to protect you because you beat up your bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just one thing I want I want to say at oh, this yeah, point. Go ahead. Let's let's keep mm-hmm. in mind Everything that we said happened in his first four seasons in the league at this point. Like, we're in 2008, and he's 10 years later, he was still playing in the NFL despite all of this. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, don't, I don't know how this guy lasted. Well, actually, no, I do. It's because yeah, he really played for good. the Bengals. Yeah. 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 Oh, and that's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where, I don't even know where I am right now. Uh, uh, okay, letter to Jones. 
Goodell called the uh, Dallas incident oh, a continuation yeah. of a yeah a disturbing pattern of behavior, behavior and clearly yeah. inconsistent with the conditions I set for your continued participation in the NFL. Yep, I think Goodell kind of hit that one right on the coffin. Um, <laughs> on yeah, so I'll keep going. There's only so a few now we more skip left. ahead to 2017. That's that's good. He was he was clean uh, for oh, 10 okay. years. <laughs> he, oh yeah, that actually is really good. Yeah. Uh, until you know the most recent ones where of course he was arrested in cincinnati uh for disorderly conduct and you know other charges and but get this one the next one on july 10 of 2018 jones was attacked by an atlanta airport employee who was arrested uh for assault later that day i wonder if that atlanta airport employee is the same person that he he attacked uh in the strip club in atlanta or or the one before that yeah (laughs) So maybe they just met 10 years later at the airport and then, you know, decided to get some payback for for, yeah. for all the pain that he caused 10 years earlier. I can only imagine. So, so that, that, that's the ending. Uh, of course, we, we did have this this arrest last week at the Indiana Casino. <laughs> yeah, Pac-Man is, Do- is certainly a, a laundry list of uh, arrests in his his career. Do, do we know what like card game it was or what kind of casino game it was? No, I didn't. The article I read, it didn't say what he was playing. Um, so I'm not sure. It was obviously strip poker. <laughs> <laughs> he would take off his clothes. <laughs> or he wanted to take off the opponent's yeah, clothes. He wa- yeah. yeah, he's like, this is the next best thing to a strip club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man. All right. I think I think that's that's more than enough uh legal issues for Pac-Man Jones for one episode. <laughs> so, let's move on now. Uh wrap things up with our top 5. So, as we said earlier in the episode as well as mentioned in last episode, Ben is in Michigan. Uh, has been there for the past few weeks for work. So in honor of Ben's work trip to Michigan, we will count down our favorite famous people from the state of Michigan in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so I'll start us off. And at number five, I have Terry Crews from Flint, Michigan the former NFL player who I first learned about as playing the father of the titular character in Everybody Hates Chris, uh, Julius is Chris's dad, the the very financially a little over the top in terms of how much he wanted to, to save and uh, how how crazy he would get at times, but he, he played a, a great, great character in that, and I, I've been a huge fan of Terry Crews ever since. Um, he I think he bursts onto the scene as part of the, the Friday series, Friday After Next. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people our age, their first exposure to him was in White Chicks, which is a, a hilarious movie. Uh, he's an Old Spice guy. He, he was a host of um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for a while. And while I don't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know him as the uh, police sergeant in that uh, show. And of course, he's, he's made, made news a lot recently uh, for his involvement in the, the Me Too movement as uh, a victim of sexual assault. So he's really, 
really helped with that cause. Um, just seems like an all-around really great guy. So he comes in for me at number five. At number four, I went with Kate Upton, who uh, was was born and spent her early childhood in St. Joseph, Michigan. So she is, of course, famous for being the uh, three-time Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue cover model, 2012, 2013, 2017. She's one of my celebrity crushes. I, I love Kate Upton. And she, uh, to tie this into sports, she's married to Justin Verlander, the pitcher for the Houston Astros. So at number three, I go with Bob Seeger, who spent most of his life growing up in Ann Arbor. And I, I had always loved Turn the Page, but I recently, when he was added to Spotify in 2017, I recently discovered how many great songs he has. Night Moves, Hollywood Nights, Old Time Rock and Roll, Downtown Train. Uh, he's just an all-around phenomenal uh, singer and like just really love that Silver Bullet band. Uh, I listen to him all the time when I'm driving. So Bob Seger comes in at number three. And number two, Jerome Bettis, the bus, Pittsburgh Steelers legend from Detroit. He, he was awesome uh, watching him for, for my favorite team in 2004 and 2005, uh, his final two seasons with, of course, 2005 ending with the Steelers winning the Super Bowl in his hometown of Detroit. Just a great storybook ending to a great career. And at number one, the late, great Robin Williams, who, despite being born in Chicago, spent uh, a lot of his, his time uh growing up in Bloomfield Hills, where he graduated from high school. He was a class president, just an all-around hilarious person, a fantastic actor from his role as John Keating in Dead Poets Society, The Genie and Aladdin, and my personal favorite role of his, Dr. Sean McGuire in Goodwill Hunting. Uh, certainly miss Robin Williams. He's just an all-time, one of the greatest actors ever. And uh, certainly wish he was still alive, making more fantastic movies. So he is my number one. So I will go next. Uh, for my number five, I went with Henry Ford. Um, he was born in uh, uh, Greenfield Township, Michigan. And, of course, he is the, uh, the founder of the Ford uh, Motor Company. And even though uh, I've never owned... A Ford vehicle in my life. Um, my dad actually has uh, has owned plenty of Ford trucks or vehicles in his life, and it is uh, it's definitely one vehicle that I'm um, definitely a fan of. And he actually owns a Ford Mustang uh, himself, so and a Ford Ranger. So uh, so I have Henry Ford as my number five, and my number four I went with uh, J.K. Simmons who was born in uh, Gross Point, Michigan, and he is known for the uh, roles of Joe, J. Jonah Jameson and, uh, in Spider-Man and then Terrence Fletcher uh, in Whiplash, which is an amazing movie, which I have recommended uh, to people, to listeners of this podcast to uh, definitely, go listen, definitely go watch. Uh, and he's also part of those Farmers Insurance commercials, which I enjoy, but... Um, another thing to mention about, uh, J.K. Simmons is even though he's from Michigan, he is an Ohio State Buckeyes fan, 
Uh, and not only that, uh, he went to uh, the University of Montana for his alumni, and he was in uh, music uh, fraternity ships. So I like to think that um, that was part of the reasons why he was uh, in the movie Whiplash uh, as uh, best supporting actor uh, as playing the role of Terrence Fletcher, where he's, uh, you know, out very strict uh, music instructor, but one that uh, is rewarding, of course, as well. Uh, so I have J.K. Simmons as my number four. Uh, my number three, I went with Eminem. Uh, even though he wasn't born in uh, Michigan, he's obviously a big part of Detroit. And I, even though I'm not a huge fan of, it, of his music now, uh, I was, I'm, I'm still definitely a fan of uh, his past music where, you know, course songs like lose yourself and uh, mockingbird and not afraid and cinderella man and so on and you know, he's made so many great albums and songs and uh he and also i i am i'm the typical white guy when it comes to watching that movie eight mile like i skip the first hour and 15 minutes or so and i just go straight to the straight to the rap battles i always love <laughs> i always love going on youtube and watching re-watching them it's uh so I have Eminem as my number three. My number two, I went with Tory Krug. He is the um, defenseman, a defenseman for the Boston Bruins. Um, not only that, he's an undersized defenseman. He's probably like I would say five nine and um, like less than two hundred pounds. So someone like that to not only be playing in the NHL but as a defenseman is uh, and an undrafted defenseman and you know being a uh, a big core of the Bruins team for. Uh, for several years is impressive and uh, and he's also a Michigan State grad and so I have Tory Krug as my number two and my number one I went with Tim Allen uh, he is the star of a past show of Home Improvement he's uh, been in the you know some great movies as well especially being the voice of uh, one only uh, Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story series which I absolutely loved and Another thing to know about Tim Allen is uh, he actually had some legal issues like Pac-Man Jones. Not as bad, of course. Uh, not like he punched a stripper, but he did have, <laughs> but he did have some uh, drug-related, uh, you know, things back in his past, and um, you know that I like to think that um, you know after getting arrested and serving his time in jail. Um, you know that gave him the humility to, uh, you know, get back control of his life and uh, and then become the man he is today. So I have Tim Allen as my number one. Tim Allen drug charges. Uh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea about that. We, we could we could do a Wikipedia page on Tim Allen for next for next week's episode or whenever. I, I have a feeling it would be shorter than Pac Man Jones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But um, okay, so I have my top five, and um, yes, I am here in Detroit. So my list has been a little bit influenced on just my experience here, and I'll get to that. But my I'll start with my number five, which is Sam Raimi, and Sam Raimi is I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite directors, but he's definitely a memorable one because he directed the three Spider-Man films. And uh, so Spider-Man 1, which is great. Spider-Man 2, which is also pretty great. And Spider-Man 3, which is an abysmal wreck. <laughs> and 
<laughs> which is uh, which makes it all the more memorable, I think. Uh, Sam Raimi also uh, directed The Evil Dead, which is a great horror film, one of the like cult classic, like original horror films. And uh, he also recently directed the most recent film he has directed. It was Oz the Great and Powerful, starring uh, James Franco and Mila Kunis. So I didn't see it. I have no urge to see it. But Sam Raimi from Royal Oak, Michigan, uh, is my number five. Moving forward to number four, Big Sean, who actually was not born in Detroit. He was born somewhere in California, but he moved to Detroit, grew up in Detroit, and very he reps Detroit uh, in all of his music. He's probably the most relevant rapper from Detroit at this moment. Um, I mean... No, like Eminem is a legend, and even though he continues to make music, I would say that he's definitely past his prime. Uh, yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, and maybe Big Sean is too. But at least when I was like growing up and, and still in college, Big Sean, when he dropped an album, it was a, an event, and uh, he's part of Good Music, which is Kanye's um, record label, and um, he has that song. Like right now, his number one song on Spotify is "Bounce Back," which. Uh, I'm sure you all remember it's like last night took an L, but yeah. tonight I bounced back, you know, and he's got a whole bunch of other memorable ones, but uh, not, Big Sean. I don't, I don't give a, not, not that song. Yes, that's number two. <laughs> um, it's like, I don't with you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was, uh, so Big Sean reps the D really. And also the, like Detroit is the D versus Dallas, which I believe is Dallas is called D town. So Dallas is uh, the big D. Big D? Okay. Well, yeah. Wait, Detroit's so wait, is D Town? Oh, okay. Well, they have such a know. nice little <laughs> cursive D, which I think is the the Detroit Tigers D. Um, the town the, like the city of Detroit reps their teams very hard. I have seen a lot of Lions gear here, um, which is good because somebody's got to root for the Lions, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Big Sean is uh my number 4 moving forward to Aretha Franklin. And Everybody loves Aretha Franklin here. She's a legend in Detroit. Um, she, of course, you know Aretha Franklin from many songs, especially um, "Respect." That is a uh, you know R E S P C T. Yep. That's Aretha Franklin. Um, she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she's considered to be the queen of soul. Um, I, uh, I I just since I've been here, been reminded of her legacy and i think that she deserves to be number three on my top five list she's i don't know like i think i looked up all my origins on wikipedia and it just says from so i don't think that i don't know exactly where she was born in michigan but it said she was from detroit so maybe she was born here um moving forward to my number two i also have eminem uh eminem and detroit are so synonymous he's an absolute legend in rap um brian said a whole lot about why he's such a legend eight mile is such a memorable movie he's the real slim shady he's marshall mathers he's just yeah you know i could go on and on and he continues to be relevant because the term stan comes from his song yeah by the same name and uh yeah, people still call like right now. I think Stan is such a, a hip word in uh, the you know popular vernacular. So he's a uh, still making his impact on culture, even though I would say that he's on a musical decline. He's the, the one. Eminem. He's the one guy that can say, "I had a dream that I was king. I woke up and I was still king." <laughs> he's the only guy that can say that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh yeah Eminem is great he's my number two and my number one 
who also made an appearance at number three on Corey's list, uh, is Bob Seger. And I'm, I grew up a big classic rock fan. My dad raised me on classic rock, listening to um, Rock 101, WROQ, the upstate's only classic rock station in uh, upstate South Carolina. And um, so... And Bob Seger was on there all the time because Bob Seger has so many classic rock hits. Um, like, you know, old time rock and roll is definitely probably the most iconic, but Night Moves, still the same, Turn the Page, Against the uh, against the Wind. And uh, I think it was, it was Ford or, no, it was Dodge. Dodge used to use his song Like a Rock as their, like, slogan. It was Dodge like a rock that was like back in the early 2000s i think but they used to have like his that song play and it would have like a truck like climbing a mountain you know and then they would drop i, I want to say it was dodge they would like drop the dodge logo it would be like made of metal and it would like smash on top of a rock and it'd be like dodge like a rock yeah, which that is, sounds like dodge dodge is from detroit too so that would make sense it would make yeah it all makes sense so yeah bob seeger super iconic and just personally i'm such a big fan of his music so that's why he's the number yeah, one had, on my i list. had no idea you were such a big bob seeger fan that's this like really my my upbringing the first yeah. genre that i identified with as having any sort of fanhood towards definitely yeah. classic rock really okay i guess to be fair i didn't really become a big bob seeger fan until all his music was available on spotify my dad uh, i don't think he was a big bob seeger fan since i've like noticed him uh Whenever I'm home and like my dad is driving and like Bob Seger songs come on, I feel like he always changes a station, which like always disappoints me because I, I like <laughs> listening to him. Um, but yeah, no, I, his album didn't drop on Spotify until the day I moved to Raleigh, which was after graduation. So it made sense that I wasn't listening to him at the same time as you when we were in college together. Um, well, yeah, uh, and well, that's the thing. I uh, I remember looking for Bob Seger on Spotify and being so disappointed yeah, right? that he wasn't on there. I actually didn't know that he was on Spotify until now, until I was researching for this uh, yeah. podcast, and I was like pleasantly surprised because I have covers of his songs saved in my Spotify uh, right now because other people had done them. I don't know how they yeah. get around the licensing for that, but yeah, like I don't know. I, I, think I, a- I need my Bob Seger. I think ACDC at the time wasn't on Spotify. And I'm pretty sure some of Jay-Z's albums aren't on Spotify either. Oh, there, there's a of lot of artists, yeah, who aren't. Yeah. Jay-Z is for a different reason, though. Jay-Z is because he's only on Tidal. Yeah, which, that's uh, his own thing, right? It is. It's yeah. his yeah, his music streaming service, which is like yeah. $20 a month or something. It's like <laughs> only for the upper class of music fans. Like, I, I would just go on YouTube and like <laughs> yeah. look it up. Even if I have to have the screen on, I wouldn't care. Yeah. All right. So that wraps things up for today. Um, normally, I just ask Ben and Brian if they have anything to add, and they don't really have anything to add. So Brian suggested we change it up and going forward we're going to end by giving a take so brian since this is your idea do you want to start us off with your uh your final take for today's episode um so yeah my final take would be uh i'll say dallas keichel and craig kimbrell will be signed by a team but um it won't be the red sox or astros they'll be different teams on one-year deals okay Ben? I'm going to say because of the prominence of Kyler Murray and Quentin Williams that the 49ers will draft Bosa at two. Okay. I I like that take as well. 
Oh yeah, big time. All right, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see why the Cardinals wouldn't take him, but it does sound like Kyler Murray is a possibility there. Yeah, that's why it's bold because I fully expect <laughs> him to go first. But if he doesn't, the Niners are getting him. Yeah. All right. So my my take: Antonio Brown will either play for the Washington Redskins or he's going to remain with the Pittsburgh Steelers next season because I think at this point he is tanking his trade value so hard that the only owner who will take him is Dan Snyder for what the Steelers (laughs) want in terms of compensation. Yeah, he keeps talking about how, like, I heard him say today that he doesn't need to play football. Yeah, right? He's going to go on his own terms. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know who he is? Antonio Browns is the, like, anti-Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald is such a good wide receiver, but he puts the team above him in every situation. Like, Larry Fitzgerald could have been a diva at wide receiver, like so many before him, and he could have played for six teams by now and still been good, but instead, he's like, no, I'm doing it for the Cardinals. I want to do it for the Cardinals. And they've been, they have done nothing for him. <laughs> no. So, he's meanwhile, the, I feel like he's definitely going to get traded at some point. Like, Larry? I think so, Fitzgerald? Yeah. No. No, I think he'll no, retire no. at this Cardinals. Is, no. His last season. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that eventually, maybe, I don't know. I want him to win a Super Bowl at some point. I, I think it would be cool. There were talks of the Steelers trading for him last year, but I don't think he wants to leave Arizona. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that you bring that up because Larry Fitzgerald, when it was announced the teams that are most interested in AB, he was like, yeah, he doesn't know how good he has it with Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I know what it's like to play with bad <laughs> quarterbacks. <laughs> like, have fun yep. catching passes from Colt McCoy next year. Like, <laughs> so, all right. So that's all we have for you today. Uh, so 